Aloha. Hey, this is Travis. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Here at Shorebrook, we're coming up to four years of ministry this July. Four years ago, a few families came out to Hawaii to plant this church, and by God's grace, we've seen transformation, church growth, people being baptized, and that's because of the partnership of the local church and those of you who have financially partnered with us. If you would feel led to support financially the work of the gospel of God being spread here in Kona and beyond, in addition to your tithe to your local church, you can go and give online at shorebreakchurch.com. But we just want you to continue to pray for us, continue to pray that the gospel would be spread and that people would come to know Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Continue to share it with other people. Grace and peace be with you. Hey, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Amen, guys. Thank you for leading us in worship. Hey, aloha to you. It's good to be in the Word with you. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys all right? Hey, it's uh, good to be with you. It's good to be at 8.30. I know it's a new rhythm we got to build into our lives, but I'm loving the 8.30. Worship gathering, much more than the 8, but um, other than selfish reasons, we're, we're glad to have you here. We're humbled that you would take your Sunday morning to, to be with, with us. You're, you're welcome here. Um, no matter what your background is, what you think about Jesus, um, we, we study his word. We're, we're not here to appease the opinions of man or just to entertain some good morals, but we're here to submit our lives under the authority of the scriptures. But we're so thankful to have you here. Um, before we get going in God's word, wanted to invite you, if you are interested in serving in student ministry, um, we have Shorebreak Students, which is a ministry we're uh, prayerfully anticipating to be launching sometime January or February of next year. And so if you have a heart to serve in students in some capacity or another, could be something as simple as set up and tear down or being a leader or a mentor or somewhere in between those things. We have an interest meeting uh, today uh, after the second worship gathering. So you can go take off, get a brunch, come back, hang out with us and learn more about what Shorebreak Students is going to look like. So you're invited to come to that meeting if you would like and be praying about too um, the upcoming opportunities you're going to have to get plugged in with community and life here in the church. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching community groups uh, again for the fall. And so um, there's a lot happening behind the scenes, getting those things rolling and moving forward. And we believe it is so key to your life with Christ that you would weave into your life um, other people who love Jesus, because that's part of God's design for the church. And so just be looking out for that and be praying about, be already thinking about what night is going to be best for you to carve out for God's people. We do community well here and on the islands. We, we get community. So we need to make sure we create in our space of community, community for the people of God. Not, um, not that we need to throw out our other communities, but in addition to it, bring and, and make space for God's people um, in our lives. And so we are in Mark chapter 5. Um, if you would stand now for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. We pray that God would bless the reading of his word. Mark 5, beginning in verse 21. 
And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she, she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, been, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the rulers of the house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Father God, we thank you for these stories and these lives, which so often resemble our lives and our stories. But God, you are a God who is not distant to us, but you are a God who is near to us. So near that 2,000 years after the resurrection, you send your spirit to be alive in the praises of your people as we, your church, gather to make much of you. We believe that you are here and that in being here, we ask that you would change us, renew us, and mold us into the image of Jesus. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you've spoken in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Jesus here seems to be racking up his frequent sailor miles. Again, they get in a boat. I wonder if you're a disciple at that point. Okay, it was cool that you calmed the storm in the sea. Is there another mode of transportation though, please? Getting in a boat again, but they get in a boat. They once again go to the other side. And when they arrive at the other shore on the other side, there are Thousands of people, they're waiting for Jesus, hoping to get a piece of Jesus, hoping to see a miracle of Jesus in their life, or at least witness something incredible. And it was there by the sea, a ruler of the synagogue, his name was Jairus, where he falls down on his knees before Jesus because his daughter is dying. Something that you, by the way, do not see happening very often. You are not seeing very many rulers of the synagogues, prominent religious people in the community, falling down before Jesus and begging something from him. But Jairus had to. He was in a desperate state because his daughter is dying. We know this is a horrifying thing to go through. Like Jairus and all of us, we know that when we see this type of suffering, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel right. In fact, there's a tension that we have. We're often in this tension. We question God. God, why would you allow such things to happen, especially to a little girl? Why would you allow this to take place? So we know the world of Mark chapter 5 strangely resembles our world today because the world of Mark chapter 5 and the world today are both the same world. People we know, people we love, including ourselves, have been ravaged by a Genesis 3 world. A Genesis 3 world where man has sinned and not only has sin entered into man and through Adam, sin has entered into all men, but that because of sin, even creation itself is broken and we've experienced this, we've seen this, and the result of this girl dying is because of the sinfulness of man. We know there's something foreign. We know that this wasn't the way it was originally God, how he created these things, yet it's the reality where difficulty, pain, suffering, and disappointment, though tragic, though we live under it, is there anything we can do? There is nothing Jairus can do to save his daughter from sliding into death. It is the mess of life. This week I was kind of cruising through different blogs and I, and I found myself on a forum of atheists kind of discussing these things about the mess of life. And I wanted to read to you one poetically written um, atheist on talking about this mess of life. Piano player and atheist Dr. Drymere writes this, Life is not writ neatly with a steady hand between the prescribed lines of a uniform copybook page. It is chaotic at the core, full of starts and crossouts, misspellings and unslightly blotches. It is, speaking of life, he says, inherently messy. 
So it doesn't even take a person of faith to look at the canvas, look at the landscape of creation itself, and look at the things that happen, whether it be Mark chapter 3 or our lives today, to see that it is chaotic, it is a mess, and something is not right. It's broken. And what Jesus is doing in these stories is he is bringing in the kingdom of God to turn upside down what man has ruined. But while the world can only observe this mess, the Bible reveals the deeper causes of this mess. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So yes, we acknowledge the chaoticness, right, of this world. We can look and see that things are not right, but we know that it's because of sin, and we know that sin, it brings about death. Sin was ushered in by Adam and Eve into all humanity. Death spread to all of us. Why? Because all have sinned. And when sin reaches its full potency, it kills its victims. Sin leads to the mess of our lives, physical and spiritual. And like Jairus trying to deal with his daughter, there is nothing humanity can do to save itself from the ravages of sin. And what this does, what sin does, whether we acknowledge it or not, is it stirs up, it causes a fear in our lives. It's a fear of the worst possible outcome. A fear of pain. A fear that if some amazing intervention does not happen, then I am left hopeless. This wasn't just true for, for, for Jairus here and the, the dying of his daughter, but this is also true for this woman that we come across in verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. And that's interesting that, that Mark chooses to highlight that, that she has spent all of her life savings, all of her money. She's seen all of the experts and all of the money, all of the resources, all of the experts ultimately could not mend what sin is broken. She could not fix herself. She needed an intervention. So, so the disciples here, what they do is they've, they've gotten off the boat, crowd around him, Jairus comes up and it says, hey, my, my daughter is dying, would you come? And Jesus goes with him. They're, they're en route to Jairus' house and this crowd, they want to see another miracle. So they're en route. This today would be like, you know, the emergency personnel, code three, lights, sirens, they're, they're en route. It's an emergency that's happening here. And then a woman gets in the way. This woman steps in. This, this crowd, not only just a woman, but a crowd is thronging about him. In fact, the original language for thronging means pressing in from all sides. Maybe those of you who are metalheads or you like a good concert that's loud, this, this would be the equivalent of a mosh pit. 
except people are mostly clothed in this mosh pit. And it's for people to come around, to be with Jesus, just to, to touch him, to see him. There's thousands of people that are there. And then this woman touches Jesus' garment. Because she believed she could be healed. Because she has suffered under the brokenness of creation. She, because of a Genesis 3 world, because of sin, has chronic bleeding. But if we get out of the trees for a moment... And if we look at the forest, there are parallels that are happening here from book end, from the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, to end of chapter 5, verse 43. This story, remember, comes right after the unbelief in the Decapolis. Remember that? Where in the Decapolis, Jesus delivers a demon-possessed man. The, the, the demons are cast out of this man and they go into these pigs and the pigs, they commit piggy suicide. They jump off a cliff and they drowned. And this man in being delivered, he sits at the feet of Jesus. But while, notice, the man sits at the feet of Jesus and worships Jesus. Others, especially the herdsmen, they begged Jesus to leave. Get, get out of here. Get away from here. You're causing too much trouble. You would probably say that too if you had to explain to your boss what happened to 2,000 pigs. Oh, this guy from Nazareth. or Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he, he cast out all these demons and they went into pigs. You're fired. I mean, really, that's, it's, it's awkward. But it's interesting. Paralleling these stories, most everyone begged Jesus to leave. Why? Verse 15 of chapter five tells us because they were afraid. Fear. They had fear. And in this story, just like the beginning of chapter 5, fear is still very much the reality. If you were to kind of take an a underlying current of what's happening here in chapter 5, is everyone is afraid because of sin. Everyone is afraid. Where in the beginning of verse, verse uh, the beginning ch- part of this chapter, in verse 15, they're afraid because they want Jesus out of here. Here in this story, Their fear drove them towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. See, Jairus, he moves towards Jesus, desperate, begging for Jesus. And he says, Jesus, if you would lay hands on my daughter, she would be made well. And for the silent and bleeding woman, moves towards Jesus. She could have just, why didn't she just go up and ask Jesus for a miracle? She was afraid. So she just goes up and she believes that if she can just touch his garment, I will be made well. That's what verse 28 says. For she said, she must have told this to her friends and others around her, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. This dad and woman are driven by fear but it's a fear diluted with faith. It's a faith believing that Jesus can bring about miraculous change. 
Yes, fear is present at the beginning of this chapter and fear is at the end of this chapter. And so I want to ask you, in light of the whole chapter, how would you categorize your fear? When it comes to Jesus, what type of fear do you have? Do you have the fear of the herdsmen? Do you have a fear of Jesus, that Jesus is a threat to your financial well-being? That Jesus is a threat to your job? That Jesus is a threat to your identity? That Jesus is a threat to the things that you find secure in your life? Do you, find, do you have a fear of Jesus and do you find Jesus to be do, too disruptive because he changes things too much? And because of this, like those in the Decapolis, you'd rather not have Jesus around. You don't want Jesus in your proximity, but you'd rather have him stay impersonal and away from you than be personal and bring about a change or challenge you. Do you have that type of fear or do you have the fear similar to these, this desperate father and this bleeding woman? Do you have a fear that Jesus is the only one you can turn to and that Jesus is the only one who can truly help you? Where you would say, I don't care what other people think. I am fearful, but where else can I go? And because of this, you will do anything and you will risk everything to be near to Jesus. So when it comes to Jesus, is your fear mixed with faith or with threats? Is Jesus a threat to you? Is Jesus a threat to your livelihood or is Jesus your livelihood? See, that, that, that's the difference here. That's the polarizing of the beginning of the chapter and the end of this chapter. See, what Mark is illustrating for us here is faith. Faith believes that Jesus can save anyone and has power over anything, even when we are helpless. That is what faith is. Faith, uh, illustrated in chapter 5, is that Jesus has power to save anyone and Jesus has power over anything, even when we are helpless. For 12 years, this woman was getting worse and worse and worse. Her bleeding did not stop. It only got worse. It increased. Her pain and suffering got worse. She spent all of her life's savings, but by simply touching his garment, what haunted her for 12 years vanished. Do you know that she would have been considered because of the law in Leviticus chapter 17? She was around Jews. She would have been considered to be unclean. Which meant she could touch no one if she was religious, if she was a Jew. And no one could touch her, e even her husband. Like, if you haven't had a hug for 12 years, what does that do to you? She's ostracized, she is outside of community, 
If she wanted to go and worship on the Sabbath with God's people, she couldn't because she was unclean. She had lost all of her money trying to cure herself. She could not be more miserable. She reaches out. She touches Jesus. She is made clean. She had radical faith, and because of her radical faith, she is immediately better. Immediately, it happens, like on the spot, just like Jesus called the storm, just like Jesus spoke the words and the demon was cast out of that man. Jesus speaks the word, Jesus didn't even speak the word here. Power flows from him through his garments. This woman is miraculously healed immediately. Which goes to show Jesus Ministry is all about helping the helpless. Listen, are you helpless? Do you realize that your life is a mess? Do you realize that you were sick and that you were in need of physician? Jesus came for you. Jesus did not come for those who are well and they need, do not need a physician. Jesus came for the sick. He comes to help the helpless, those who are absolutely, entirely incapable of helping themselves. Though life is inherently messy and chaotic, I want you to see Jesus isn't helpless. Jesus isn't a helpless observer. Jesus willingly enters into the mess that is our lives so that he would bring healing and restoration in your life. Jesus is not reluctant to go in and to be touched by you or to touch others and the, and the sinful, dark, bleeding areas of our life. Do you have faith? that where sin has made you unclean, Jesus can make you clean. A lot of time we can leave these out in abstraction, like, yeah, I totally do. Okay, then your addiction. Can Jesus cleanse you from the uncleanness of the sin of your addiction? The scars, the emotional and spiritual scars of sins that you've committed or sins that have been committed against you, do you believe that you can be made clean by Jesus? Can Jesus cleanse you from your anger? Can he cleanse you from your lust? Can he cleanse you from you turning good things into God? Can Jesus cleanse you from giving up on your virginity? Do you have faith? Do you believe that Jesus can do that? Have radical faith that you can come to Jesus with all of your uncleanness and he will make you clean. It's the opposite of what we think because the kingdom of God is the opposite of what we think. We think, all right, I'm, I'm gonna heal myself. I'm gonna make myself better. I'm gonna clean myself up and then I'm gonna present myself before God and God says, I want none of that. You bring all of your issues to me because I place them on Jesus and in placing them upon Jesus, you will be made clean. I love here, Jesus like, who touched me? The disciples are like, verse 31, 
You see the crowd pressing you and you say, who touched me? In other words, are you kidding me, Jesus? There is a mosh pit happening and you want to know who touched me? Um, let me see. Thousands of people are touching. No, no, no. But there was a touch that was not like any other touch. Power flowed from me. And it's interesting. Jesus, know who touched, Jesus knows who touched him. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man. He absolutely knows who touched him. So then why say this? Because he wants to bring about a public confession. And when he does this, she's afraid still. She's afraid. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him all that had happened. She's healed. Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Awesome. She's completely healed. But what's different? She was already healed. Why did Jesus say, be healed when she was already healed? Because he told her to go in peace. See, not only when sin is removed from our lives are we healed, but we are no longer enemies of God, but we are at peace with God. Now, meanwhile, what happened to our brother Jairus? Come on, Jesus, this was code three. My daughter is dying. And it's like Jesus has this like squirrel moment, you know? It's like ADD, Jesus, come on, let's focus here. Bring your attention. I understand that other people have other needs here and they need to be addressed, but my daughter is dying. Can't this, I mean, if, if, if those who work in the ER and those who are paramedics, you kind of take the youngest first and the worst case first. This would probably be, in, in medical terms, maybe malpractice even here. Like Jesus has his priorities shifted and Jairus is like, as urgent as these other needs are, there's nothing more urgent right now because my daughter is dying. This woman, for 12 years, she could wait. And what Jairus feared the most happened. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking to this woman, came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Hmm. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So while Jairus hears the bad news, Jesus apparently has amazing multitasking skills. He's talking to a woman, and while he's talking to a woman, he overhears what they're saying. And then Jesus tells, hey, Jairus, I know you're afraid. Trust me. When it comes to your issues, when it comes to our problems, the things that we face in our life, Jesus will not be hurried. It doesn't matter how bad it might be in the moment or what suffering you're going through. It's not that God doesn't care. It's just that Jesus, he's not in your rush. He's not in your hurry. Jesus operates on on different time than we do. I'm talking about time. I'm reminded um, about my my wedding day when, you know, we'd planned this wedding and and it was at our wedding where we see 
where we saw different cultures clash because of time. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a mutt when it comes to my ethnic background. I don't know really what I am. I have a few uh, dominating ethnicities in there, but my, my wife, she's 100% Romanian. Her, her family immigrated from Romania. Um, her, her parents did, along with her 5,000 other cousins in her family. It's awesome. I love them. They're amazing, but there's so many cousins. I'm like, and I'm like, the, there's like me and one other American guy in there. And so we always kind of joke and like have our little corner where we let everyone else make fun of us because they're talking trash on us in Romanian. But it's cool. We still love them. And, um, and so I remember, though, seeing this clash of time take place on our wedding day. Because in Eastern European culture, um, in, in Romania, to, to be on time means you can be 15, 20 minutes late. It's totally acceptable. And so on the left side of our wedding day, before the wedding starts, all the Americans are there. Some were late, but most of them were there on time. They're like checking their clock, like, where, where, where? You know, and they're kind of, there was some unspoken frustration because all the Romanian side, they were coming late. In fact, my bride was ready to walk down the aisle on time which is a miracle in itself, but half of her family wasn't even there. Not only that, they didn't even RSVP, but that's, that's what it is. So it was an amazing day, don't get me wrong, but it was really fun to see this unspoken friction between the Americans and the Romanians and, and, and when it came to time. What, what is time? See, one person for time might be another person might be different for another person. To be on time is to be 15, 20 minutes late. That's completely acceptable in other cultures, not at all. God is outside all cultures. And God's inexhaustible grace and compassion does not move on your schedule or my schedule. And doesn't that drive us crazy sometimes? There's a little friction there. Come on, God. I RSVP'd. Why aren't you here? But God's timing is different than all our timing. In fact, maybe you've noticed this. He will bless you when you least expect it. Maybe even when you don't want it. You might be sitting next to him right now, right? Your spouse. I wasn't expecting that, but they came along and, well, hey. And for Jairus, this is what he is experiencing in the most painful way. The timing of God is not on his timing. And what Jesus says to him in the midst of this, because Jairus no doubt at this point is doubting the goodness of Jesus and his power, he says, do not fear, believe. Don't just trust me with the miracle, Jairus. Trust me completely. And I say to you, don't just trust Jesus with the change you need to see. Trust Jesus. Trust my lordship. Trust my power. Trust that I will come through for you because I know the best time for you. Jesus will not be hurried because he knows what is best for us and when it is best for us. May you believe in God, not just for his resources, but may you believe in God for his reasoning. Don't just believe in his resources. Believe his reasoning. And like Jairus, God will use these delays to strengthen our faith in him. God will use delays in our life to strengthen our faith and trust in him. 
Jesus easily could have healed this girl, spoken the word, just like he did. Remember the Roman soldier speaks the word, she's healed? He could have done that. But Jesus allows her to die. Jairus came for a healing. Jesus goes to Jairus for a resurrection. His ways, they are not our ways. Then they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, verse 38. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went into where the child was. Sleeping there means she died. That's why they're laughing. They're mocking him. But when Jesus says she's sleeping, what he is saying here is he is referring to that her death is reversible. I can awaken her out of her sleep. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus takes this girl by the hand, speaks, tells her to rise and she amazingly arises. When we come to Jesus with our problems, he will do his will in his time. He will work in ways we never expected and he will always exceed our expectations. Don't fear. Just believe. Believe you can come to Jesus with all your uncleanness. Believe Jesus can bring life where you see it impossible. What we see is that God will use the fear of our circumstances to draw us to Jesus. And once we are in Jesus, we will no longer be afraid. Because perfect love casts out fear. Jesus will undo all that sin has ruined and make beauty out of the mess and the ashes of our life. See, even though sin kills all of its victims and there is nothing we could do, Jesus drank the poison of sin that was ours. Jesus, who is perfectly holy, became shamed by our sin on the cross so that we would experience the healing and the resurrecting power that only comes through him. Don't fear. Believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to a faith and that like this woman who was healed, you call her to publicly confess that she believes and the testimony of what you've done for her. 
So even now, as we're praying, as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, may we confess our faith, not just with the people of God on Sunday, but publicly in our workplace, publicly in our communities, publicly in our neighborhoods, publicly at the beach. May we not be ashamed of the gospel, but may we be in amazement at your resurrecting power. Jesus, you were made unclean for us so that we would be made clean in you. Cleanse us and resurrect us. And if that's you, listen, confess your sin. Believe on his name and you will be saved. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.